Good evening. Our scripture reading tonight is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and that can be found on page 565 of the Pew Bibles right under your seat. If you don't have a Bible or you would like this one, please take it home as a gift from Cornerstone. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all, all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this time to gather around your word, to stop, to encourage one another, to hear from you. And I pray that we would hear from you, that you would speak. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, now, you might have noticed today uh, our camera crew as you walked in. We have one uh, camera, camera person here tonight, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about that, because earlier today, uh, Doreen, our own Doreen, was featured, the star of uh, the, that's right, uh, the, the inner, I mean, Christ is the star, Doreen, so don't get a big head. Uh, uh, the kind of the, gave the interview this morning with Chris, Chris Lake. Maybe you can just wave, uh, Chris. Uh, uh, kind of interviewing her and how she is bringing ministry into every aspect of her life. How she's not just segmenting church out of her normal every day, but really is seeking to honor Christ on her front line, right? The place that we just talked about with Bernie, that, that place where you're around people that don't know Jesus and you're there constantly. Uh, and so uh, then Chris came this afternoon and interviewed me. I'm sure it wasn't as great as your time with Doreen. Uh, but we were talking about how do, you, how do you kind of sustain this vision for whole life ministry through, uh, uh, through the long run? So how do we kind of keep this frontline ministry idea going because it's that important? Uh, we want to keep doing it year after year. And as part of this session, uh, Chris had me focus on a passage of Scripture. Uh, and since I figured, well, I'm going to have to answer some questions about that Scripture passage in the interview, I might as well just preach on it. And so uh, we already heard it read here tonight, but I want to pull up the Scripture passage, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a great Bible passage, but why did Chris choose this passage? And if I were to get inside his nice shiny head, I, 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 think, I think you were trying to show the, the connection between gathered church ministry and scattered church ministry. We gather to scatter, this gathered ministry versus scattered ministry. Now, maybe you've never heard those phrases, so I want to take a moment and define them. Gathered church ministry is anytime we as Christians get together to do ministry. Right? So we are in the gathering right now. We have gathered to worship the Lord. Every part of what we're doing right now, uh, if we were doing communion, the worship team, uh, the sermon, this is all part of gathered ministry. But it's not just the church service. It can also be uh, when Christians get together to do a community group or a Bible study or a youth ministry or a potluck or an outreach event. Whenever we kind of band together to do something, that's gathered ministry. 
But there's a connection between that and what I call scattered ministry. Scattered ministry is when you're not around a bunch of Christians, right? It's, it's whenever you're on your front line, when you're in your normal everyday places, maybe your office, maybe you don't go to work, uh, but you have a neighborhood or you have some family members, or in Doreen's case, you have kind of some social media people that you can reach out to. Wherever it is, that's where uh, God has called you, and that's called scattered ministry. And so there's a connection between our, our gathered ministry and our scattered ministry because we don't want to break them apart. We don't want to silo them and say, well, when I'm at church, I'm going to live and act one way, and then when I'm on my front line, I'm going to live and act a different way. Or to not just see the connection between the two, that when we get together as Christians, we can actually be encouraging each other and, and, uh, and, and motivating each other and praying for each other in our front lines, in our scattered place of ministry. And I think our Bible passage tonight, Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, really kind of encourages the connection between the gathered and the scattered. My big idea for this evening, I'm going to give it to you up front, but it's this, that the gathered church helps the, the church scattered follow Christ. The church gathered helps the church scattered follow Christ. Another way of saying this is that kind of the, the, when we get together, we can encourage one another and pray for one another and help everyone kind of go out to their front lines and be a success where God has already called them as individuals. So in that way, we do it together. Now, before we dive into Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, right, it's always important to understand the context of a passage because you don't want to pull a verse out of context, make it say whatever you want it to say. You really want to understand a verse. Uh, and maybe you've heard the expression, never read a Bible verse. Well, we want to kind of set it in its context. We read a Bible verse within a context of a Bible passage. And this was some of the things we talked about in the interview. But I want to give you kind of an overview of the passage leading up to this. So the first 18 verses are all about Christ and his sacrifice. His sacrifice on the cross and how it is enough to forgive sins. So so uh, Hebrews chapter 10 declares that uh, Jesus was enough. When he went to the cross, he satisfied God's requirements. No longer do we have to sacrifice like the Old Testament system said, like sheep and goats and bulls or turtle doves. Like that sacrificial system has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. See, those things were kind of like, temporary reminders of our guilt before God, but then showing that we can also be cleansed, that we can be forgiven when a sacrifice is made. But none of those things were good enough. Like a, a turtle dove isn't going to take away your sins. A, a, maybe a, a bigger animal. No, not even a bigger animal. A bull can't take away your sins. Only another human being paying the penalty for your sins in your place can take away your sins. And you need a perfect sacrifice. I don't know about you, but I am not a perfect sacrifice, right? I, I have sinned. I have rebelled against God. I have done life my way instead of his way. But there's one man who came and did life God's way, and that's Christ Jesus. And so he went to the cross, kind of the altar, and he paid the penalty by dying for us. And so Jesus becomes that perfect sacrifice, taking away the debt that we owe. 
Now, if you were to kind of think of a, an illustration, maybe a simple one, um, uh, that kind of encapsulates this Old Testament sacrificial system, but I actually popped, what popped into my head was student loans. Now, maybe some of you have had student loans or you are currently paying student loans, but you could, you could take out a loan for a couple thousand dollars just to get you through, or if you're paying for all of your school, it could be uh, upwards of a quarter million dollars. Like it could be over $100,000 that you're paying in student loans. And every month that bill comes along and you're paying and you're paying and you're paying. And it can take decades for you to pay off your student loan. That could be a pressure, right? That could, be, that could be really discouraging to have all that debt. But what if one day you open up your account and your $100,000 of student debt is just wiped clean. It's completely gone. And in its place, it's like a million dollars. You're like, oh, man, I'm going to go on vacation. I am a wealthy graduate. <laughs> like, it would change your life. And maybe it wouldn't sink in right away, but I think it would that first month when you don't have to make your loan payment. And then that second month when you don't have to make your loan payment. That third month and that year when you finally have that extra cash from your job. This is kind of like what's happened with our debt, our sin. We no longer have to offer sacrifice month after month, year after year. Our sacrifice has come in the form of Christ Jesus. He has paid our debt and we are forgiven and set free. Christ's sacrifice is enough for our sins. Christ's sacrifice is enough for your sins. So that's the first part of the chapter. Uh, and then we're going to slow down as we head towards verse 24. 19 through 21 tell us that we can enter into God's presence through Christ. Now I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I'm going to read it. So Hebrews 10, 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, so by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So in this passage, we see the word since mentioned. In fact, the word since is mentioned twice. It says, kind of, since you have Christ, since he has offered himself to be your sacrifice by his own blood, we can enter into God's holy presence. Now, what's it talking about when it says the most holy place? Well, that's giving us this Old Testament imagery. We're kind of hearkening back to the book of Leviticus. It's like the most interesting book in the Bible, even though when you read it, it's like really boring. But if you know, if you understand how it connects to the rest of the Bible, it's quite fascinating. And in, uh, in this book, it says that the high priest can only enter the most holy place, so right, that the temple or the tabernacle is divided into a holy place and the most holy place. And the most holy place is where God's presence dwells. God's very presence is like resting over the Ark of the Covenant that's in there. But you can't go in there. <laughs> You're separated by walls, by four walls, by, by a tent, by a, a stone building that separates God's presence from us. Only can the high priest enter into the most holy place, guess how many times? Once a year on the Day of Atonement when he has sacrificed a bull for his own sins and then he sacrifices a goat and sets one goat free for the sins of the people. And they have to do this year after year. But there's good news. So the good news is that we can enter 
God's presence, the most holy place, the most holy place in all of creation through Christ Jesus, through the blood of Christ. Now, we don't actually enter into that physical temple anymore, do we? No, but we can enter spiritually into God's presence, and then when we pass, when we die as a a dear sister in Christ passed this week, she can enter into Christ's most holy presence. And we can enter one day as well, when either Christ comes back or we die. And then the second verse, verse 20, talks about that that there's been an opening through the curtain. What's that talking about? Well, in the temple, uh, there was this curtain that separated the most holy place from like the rest of the temple. It's big curtain, thick curtain. You couldn't get through it. You couldn't rip it unless you were God. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, what happened? Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51 say this. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Top to bottom, God tears the curtain so that we can enter into his presence because Christ Jesus has spilt his blood. Not only has Jesus become our perfect sacrifice, Jesus has actually become the high priest as well. (laughs) It says that Jesus is our high priest. That means you can speak to Jesus and Jesus will speak to the Father. It's perfectly okay to pray to Christ. But you can also pray directly to the Father and, and Christ mediates that. Mediates this fancy word to say, be kind of good, it's the in-between. I talk to you, you talk to him. I talk to Christ, or I talk to the Father, and, and, and it's through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus that I can speak to him. It's so important that we have someone that can let us into God's presence who will speak to the Father on our behalf. Now, in our workplaces, maybe some of you have electronic key cards, you have a, 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 maybe a, a pass, a lanyard, or a clip on your belt or, or wherever that lets you enter into your workplace. Maybe you work in a, an environment where uh, there's dangerous chemicals or, or dangerous secrets, and you need to get into your building. But if you forget your key card, is it easy to get into the building? No. You, you, you can't get into the building unless you have some form of identification, and what the kind of the gospel message is, is that, uh, that we need someone to vouch for us in order to enter into God's presence. And Christ Jesus is the one who vouches for us. You need someone to vouch for you to get into work, to get into your place of work. Well, we have Christ Jesus who has vouched for us, and he's actually given us his key card. He's given us his lanyard, and he has assured the guard at the gate that you're good, <laughs> You can come into the divine and holy presence of God. We can enter God's presence through Christ. Remember, this is a since statement. Since we have this, since Christ has shed his blood, now what? See, there's kind of a statement of what we have uh, kind of been blessed with, what we've received, and do we leave it at that? Is that where Christianity stops? No. There's a response to it. Verse 22, let us draw near to God's presence. Hebrews 10, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. See, by Christ's sacrifice, we can draw into God's presence. 
We can come into the most holy place, but so often we, we're like, oh, I really don't have time for that, or you know, maybe I'm impure, I'm, I'm too sinful. Well, no, if you believe in Christ, you've been washed. You've been washed with the Holy Spirit. You've been forgiven, and now draw near to God. Seek God, draw into his presence, come into God's presence. He wants to be close to you. He wants you to come in. He would not have spent the life of his son if he wasn't serious about you being near to him. And so we, this, this passage, it's, it's, it's not speaking just to us as individuals. It's not just speaking to you on your personal devotional time. That's important. But it's also speaking to us. We draw into his presence together. This is an us thing. Let us draw near to God's presence. And so we do that. We do that by worshiping together. This is a significant act that is taking place right now, the gathering of God's church. We are drawing ourselves into God's holy presence. When we pray together, when we fellowship in our community groups, and I would argue even when we go on mission together, even if we're not physically together, if we are praying for each other and encouraging one another, I believe that we are drawing near to God's presence because we're being dependent on him. We're trusting him. We're seeking him. By Christ's grace, by his blood, we've been washed clean. And so let us together come into the presence of God wherever he has us, whether it's a church service or out on our front lines. I know I've probably used this illustration too many times, but I like it probably because I have a kid. Uh, but when uh, a child gets all muddy and dirty from playing. What do they do? They, they want to come inside. And what does a mom or dad do? You can take the hose and you wash them down before they come inside. But you don't, you don't wash them down and then leave them shivering outside in the cold unless, you know, maybe. I saw Mark smile. Maybe he's done that. You invite your kids into your home. Come into where it's warm. Come into the, 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 the fire. I don't know if you have fires at this time of year. Uh, I don't know what kid is like getting, playing outside in the mud in December. So this illustration breaks down. But come into God's presence. Christ has cleansed us, so let us draw near. And then verse 23, we're getting closer to verse 24. We'll get there. Verse 23 is a call to have hope. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Man, if, if we together can draw into Christ's presence through his blood into God's presence, we can draw near to God. That should fill us with so much hope. It's odd that it's kind of like this, this call, have hope, be full of hope. And there, there is such a significant difference between a, an employee that has hope and one that does not have hope. An employee that doesn't have hope in progressing in their job or, or producing something of quality or who does not believe in their company, are they going to produce a good product? Are they going to be good employees if they're hopeless? They don't like their jobs? No, an employee that has hope to progress, has hope to produce a, a, a good quality product, who has hope in the future of their company and the, the hope in the kind of the future of how the company can provide for them and their family, that employee is going to do a lot better. And as Christians, 
sometimes we act like we don't have hope because it's easy to be, get discouraged. It's just, it's easy. But let's be, let's like intentionally try to be those employees that do have hope, that see that all that God can do and that, and that remember that one day we are going to walk into the most holy place. Like spiritually, it's already true, but like tangibly, physically, you're gonna open your eyes one day. Just like Pat. She has hope realized. And we can just go ahead and, and walk by faith until our hope is realized too. Let us have hope. So let's review. Because of Christ's sacrifice, since Christ's sacrifice is enough, and since we can enter into God's presence, and well then let's draw into God's presence. Let's draw near. Let's have hope. And finally, our passage today, let us gather together to encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. This is the third time you're hearing it tonight, but it's great. You need to hear it all the time. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, as a pastor, as a leader of a church, it's really easy for me to skip verse 24 and go directly to verse 25 because verse 25 says what I want it to say. It says, don't neglect meeting together. Now, why would that be important to me as a pastor? I want to see people at church, right? It makes me feel good. It's, it's, it's part of that shepherding context. I want people to be here. But then I can skip verse 24. Because verse 25 is important. It's equal, equally Bible, but it comes within the context of verse 24. And let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is all within the context of loving God and loving each other. That vertical relationship, God, I, I need, to, I need to, to love you. Let me love you. Let me uh, just experience your love and then let me love those around me. And doing good deeds, that's all a part of it. And this is connected to the gathering of the church. See, when we get together, we help each other love God. Because sometimes I come to worship and I don't feel like worshiping. But it sure helps when we have musicians and artists that can sing, can play the piano, play the drums, and help draw us in to worship. And then we begin to realize as we head out the doors that worship doesn't stop inside. We're also to worship every day as we bring Christ's presence into our front lines, into our communities and our neighborhoods, among those relationships with our coworkers. That our whole life can be an act of worship, but it's so easy when you're on your own, when you're by yourself, to let the embers die, to let the fire go out. And that's why we need to come back again the following week, and we need to worship. We need to hear God's word. We need to be convicted so that we can go out, so that we can serve God on our front lines, so that we can be praying, so that we can be excited. And then when we get tired, we come back in. We get stoked up. And that's how the fire keeps burning, right? The passion for the Lord. Because we're not called to be Lone Ranger Christians, are we? 
You ever been in a long-distance relationship? They are difficult to maintain. When we separate ourselves from the church body, it's like having to be in a relationship with God through long distance. <laughs> it's, I guess it's possible, but it's never supposed to be that way permanently. A long-distance relationship forever is not really a relationship. We need to draw close. We need to gather so that we can scatter, so that, that we can gather The church gathered helps the church scattered follow Christ. I don't think when it talks about loving each other and doing good deeds, it's it's really talking. I mean, I think maybe it's talking about all sorts of love, all sorts of good deeds. So this could include like volunteering and handing out bulletins and being an usher and being on the worship team. I think those are all good deeds. So I think it includes that. It's like like a third of the piece of the pie. (laughs) a third of the pie, but there's other parts of the pie that I think it's also talking about, like loving those people on your front line, being obedient to God the rest of the days of the week, the rest of the hours of the week. I think as the church gathers, we can encourage one another. We can come together and say, you know, you keep loving your coworker even though it's hard. We can encourage each other when our, uh, our employer, when our boss isn't being nice. You know, keep, keep producing the best quality and the best work even though your employer doesn't appreciate you. Or, you know, you're struggling with how to reach out to your neighbors. <laughs> we live in New England. It's kind of hard to reach out to your neighbors. Well, here are some ways you can reach out to your neighbors. Maybe I'll, I'll help you bake some cookies. And then I'll watch you as you go around and deliver them. <laughs> or I'll come with you. Or I have, a, I have a family member that doesn't know Jesus. Would you pray with me for them? And then check in on me a little bit later when, you know, the, the, it's challenging. And I, I need to keep going. I need to keep praying for them. Because it's so easy to let the fire drop, to let the fire burn out. It was fun as we were getting ready for this interview. I got to hear some of the ways that Doreen uh, has had the gathered church bless her on her front line, bless her as she's doing scattered church ministry. So I wanted to share a few of these ways with you. The first one is uh, community groups. So Doreen has been part of a, the Saturday morning community group. And uh, one of her stories is that she was uh, trying to reach out to a woman and her child through social media. Uh, They were reaching out to her. There was like this connection that was made. And Doreen was like, you know what? I would really like to give this child a children's Bible, right? Some sort of literature. And so she asked around in her community group. And I guess half the community group is just people that are involved in children's ministry. So they're like, we have lots of ideas on what you can get for this lady, and then you bought something and gave it to her. It's a beautiful example of how like, the gathered church children's ministry is helping the scattered church children's ministry. <laughs> one's in a building and, and one's outside of a building, but they're both good. And they're both real. And God uses both of them. The gathered, the gathered church helps the scattered church follow Christ. And another way, and I'm, I'm definitely not sharing this as a, as a boast, but uh, my sermon helped Doreen. And this is just a cool, let's just take a moment and acknowledge what God is doing. Uh, 
but God used my sermon from about a month ago where I shared about uh, how I'd been, uh, the Lord had laid it on my heart to share the gospel with a past coworker who I'd worked with for a long time and never just like shared the gospel message with. So I shared that as part of this church service. Uh, it seemed to go well. And then the very next day, Doreen had a similar opportunity where she was having a conversation with family members about Christ and his death. And I guess uh, they said, you know, well, Christ died because he was out of favor with the Roman government. Is that kind of right? And the moment was about to slip past Doreen. You know, she was about to let it go. And then she's like, ah, I remember that sermon yesterday. And I think really it was just the Holy Spirit convicting her. And she's like, no, I got to catch this moment. She said, yes, and <laughs> Jesus died for you. Jesus died for your sins so that if you repent and believe in him, you'll receive eternal life. And if you want to know the exact wording, please talk with Doreen. But isn't it cool how, how like, God used gathered church to bless the scattered church? And then it was funny, this week, the story kind of continued because we, Doreen and I have been talking. Uh, I was back at a class that Monica and I took, getting ready for the arrival of our son, a, a birthing class. We were kind of going in as like the alumni and see, we have a happy, healthy baby boy. Uh, and I felt convicted, like, man, I really need to offer to pray for this couple who is going to have a baby because it's a stressful time. Uh, and I, there was another time that I had felt called to pray in that class, and I hadn't. I was like, Lord, I already preached a sermon on this. I don't really want to pray for these people. And yet I remembered then Doreen acting out on her front line. So it like came back to me. And so I was like, at the end, I was like, can I pray? And I'd, I'd heard that they went to church. And so I, I stopped and I was able to pray uh, for them and their baby. And it was just like this really cool kind of tumbling effect, right? Where I, I preached a sermon and Doreen did something. And what Doreen did uh, influenced me. And so there's this encouraging one another and I hope that that's happening among us, that it's not just me and Doreen, but we're all kind of doing that. And if we're not, that's okay. Let's start doing it. Let's start asking about each other's front lines. Let's start caring about what God is doing in our places of work. Now, these two examples, the community group and the sermon, they just like scratch the surface of all the different ways that we can be thinking about frontline ministry as a church body and be doing it how the gathered church can impact the scattered church. And it was cool. This week I was able to kind of take an inventory of some of the ways, most of the ways that we at Cornerstone are trying to impact each other on our front lines. And I wanted to share these with you as an encouragement and also as a challenge to be thinking of more ways that we can be bringing our frontline ministry into our church. But these are some of the ways. Like we, we teach a membership class, and in the membership class we talk about frontline ministry. Then when you fill out a membership application, you have to write down where your front line is. And then I will pray for you and maybe ask you to share a front line story. Uh, back in, I think it was like 2016, we did a sermon series, Fruitfulness on the Front Line. And then we also went through the Fruitfulness on the Front Line book together as a church body. We gave out the book and we went through kind of DVD sessions. We probably should do another Life on the Front Line or Fruitfulness on the Front Line study coming up. If you want to get on to that, you can go downstairs because in our new church library, you can find a copy of the Fruitfulness on the Frontline book and DVD. And we try to give away copies of that book to new people that come to Cornerstone. 
I've had the honor and the joy of visiting some of you on your front lines, and I hope that you will continue to invite me to them or say yes when I invite myself to uh, your places of work or to your neighborhoods. Uh, the elders, when they created my job description, they actually wrote that I had to have a front line in my job description, which is pretty cool. We've taken pictures and shared pictures of each other on our front lines, and I thought it was really great. Thank you, Bernie, for putting up the pictures tonight of your front lines. Our outreach ministry team also has frontline ministry written into its purpose, that we're not just supposed to do these gathered church events, but we're supposed to equip people for when they're away from church, when they're by themselves. And we've commissioned people. We've done kind of these workplace commissionings. We've done uh, the frontline stories. So these are just uh, some of the ways that God has been moving in us. Let's continue to do this. If it's died off in our community groups or if it's died off in our times of prayer and we're, we're kind of praying again for like the big needs like sickness or, or our jobs, like let's pray for our front lines. And you can obviously continue to pray for your jobs, but just be a little bit more intentional about praying that God would be working through each other to reach our coworkers or in your neighborhood, re- working through each other to reach our next door neighbors or that family member that doesn't yet know Christ. And one of the ways we can do this as a church is after church, when we have our times of fellowship, you can just ask, how's your front line or how's your workplace? How can I be praying for you in that place? You can do your own little front line story when you're talking with people or when you're getting together for tea or a meal or coffee. See, to stay on mission, we need to keep the fire burning. And why do we keep the fire burning? Because we know the day is coming, (laughs) The day of Christ's return. See, it's not like, oh, I know Jesus is coming, so I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. (laughs) No, it's encourage one another, love one another, do good deeds, because Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus shows up, it's kind of like he walks into a room in the middle of the test. Do you want to have been working on your test or not? Do you want to come back and you're honoring him on your front line or, or not? I, I want to be serving him on my front line. I mean, maybe he'll show up during a church service, but chances are he'll show up some other time on a normal every day. And we don't expect him. And how cool would it be if you were being intentional about that place, being intentional about bringing Christ into that place? I wanted to close with an illustration of just why it's important to stay on mission. This, this illustration originated in the mind of Bernie Michaud, uh, but I have taken it to the next level, I hope. It's about why kind of church attendance, this gathered ministry, being here, being a part of a group matters. I want you to think of a sports team. We'll go with the Red Sox because uh, they've been doing well. They've done well, 2018 season. But can you imagine uh, if they would do you be a very good team if their players only showed up like two or three times a month? <laughs> I don't think they would be a very good team. Like they wouldn't practice very often. I don't think they'd win many games because they wouldn't be training. Okay, but what if the players on that team, what if they show up regularly? Okay, so now all the Red Sox players are showing up every day, every week. They're, they're practicing. They're, they're listening to the coach. And they're hearing what the coach has to say. The coach tells them, you know, strategy and and how to get better. But then when they actually get out onto the field, 
They talk about other things. They don't talk about baseball. They talk about Netflix or football or the weather or whatever. Well, they would still be better than the team that didn't show up. But because they're not being intentional and they're not helping each other grow and helping each other internalize the message and reflect, they're still not going to be as good as they could be. Okay, so what about a team, they come together regularly, they're talking about frontline ministry, <laughs> they're talking about baseball, they're, they're practicing hard, but then they never actually play a professional baseball game. Like they never get to the green giant, the green monster, they never play the game. Yeah, I don't know baseball very well. <laughs> That's the hazard of of uh, doing sports illustrations. They, uh, they couldn't win, right? Because they never actually went out and played the game. See, we need to go out and play the game on the front line. We need to be willing to share Christ, to see what God will do on our front lines. What I love about Doreen is she may not have the biggest front line. She works from home. She has one coworker, And yet God is working through her because she is available. And she is seeking out what God is doing. And I want to challenge each and every one of us here tonight to be available and to seek out what the Lord is doing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our front lines. Thank you that when we gather together, it can have a bigger impact. That we can go out and worship Christ with all of our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be people that, gives you, that give you every aspect of our lives, our Monday, our Tuesday, our Wednesday, our Thursday, our Friday, our Saturday, and our Sunday. Would we live for you because you lived for us through Christ Jesus. You laid down your life for us. Jesus, you died to pay the penalty for our sins. Would you bring life into our front lines, life into us that we can share with others? Please bless our offering. In Jesus' name, amen.